August 8, 1922. 21-year-old Louis Armstrong is riding on a train bound for Chicago, having boarded at the Illinois Central Railroad Station in New Orleans. He sits next to a lady with three children. The lady recognizes him, says she knows his mother. This comforts him, not least because she has packed a large basket of fried chicken, enough to last all the way to California in his estimation. Trains in Galilee, African-American slang for the South, do not include dining facilities for Negroes, so passengers must bring their own food. His mother bagged a trout sandwich for him, but it feels good to be sitting next to the overflowing basket of chicken. Underneath his long coat and clothes, he wears long underwear, even though it is August, and he is lugging a small suitcase in one hand, a little case for his cornet in the other. Armstrong, the lady, and her children are following a well-worn path that took shape as an imposing phenomenon half a dozen or so years earlier. They are part of what will later be called the Great Migration, the movement of African Americans from the countryside and cities of the South into the urban North. The trend picked up large numbers with the shutting down of European immigration in 1914. It was spurred along by floods and a boll weevil epidemic. Hey, hey, boll weevil, don't sing them blues no more. Boll weevil here, boll weevils everywhere you go, goes the blues song. Lynchings are on the rise, and the force of vigilante terror, the tremendous shore of southern barbarism, as songwriter, poet, novelist James Weldon Johnson described it, seems inexorable. And there is the lure of money, with jobs in the North paying much more than anything available anywhere in the South. African-American musicians are as touched by this set of magnetizing and repelling forces as everyone else is. The thousands of New Orleanians who go north consider only one destination seriously. By 1922, so much is known about Chicago and so little about the alternatives that there is no need for deliberation. The immigrants find work in the meatpacking industry, in steel yards, and as porters, janitors, and domestics. The Chicago Defender a nationally circulating newspaper produced by and for African Americans plays a large role. Defender headlines radiate across the South like a lighthouse beam of safety, proclaiming the benefits of Northern living, printing letters from happy newcomers, and listing timetables for northbound trains. During the first wave of the Great Migration, some 50,000 African Americans are relocating to the Windy City, greeted at the train station by huge signs that spell out, Welcome to Chicago. On the day of his departure, Armstrong accepted a funeral job at the last minute, thinking the cash might come in handy, but it caused him to miss the train he had told Joe Oliver he would be taking. Now he isn't sure if Oliver will be at the station to greet him, as he disembarks at the 12th Street station, the excitement of so many people waiting for taxicabs, the vigorous hustling in all directions, it all leaves him stunned. He says goodbye to his traveling companion and her children and looks around for some help, getting more and more nervous. Finally, a red cap offers assistance. Oh, you are the young man who's to join King Oliver's band at Lincoln Gardens, he says. 
This gives the twenty-one-year-old pause, for he has never heard his mentor called King. The red cap flags a cab and directs the driver to Lincoln Gardens, where the evening show is already in progress. Through three seasons of playing cornet on excursion boats up and down the Mississippi River, Armstrong has drifted through a lot of towns, but he has never seen a city like this, with its tall buildings, bright lights, and paved streets. The cab pulls out from the station and heads down South State Street, the most famous street in the so-called Black Belt of Chicago.